0: Episode Nine, a podcast dedicated to all things the hundred. I'm Brittany Perlman and
1: I'm Sarah McCabe,
0: and today we'll be discussing Episode Four Oh Nine DNR. Before we get into anything, we both just wanted to take a second and apologize about the lateness of this episode. (laughs) As you know, we both work in book publishing, and sometimes we have to go and do things for our job, and go on trips, and hang out with authors, and that's where we were Uh, actually
1: together this time. Yeah, not really together. Well, in the same city, we <laughs> were in the same hotel room. Right, but I, I like never saw you. <laughs> that's true. We had,
0: we were at the same city, in the same room, in the same festival, and we didn't see each other barely at all. <laughs> um, and that is why we were so busy, and um, why we're so late. Um, okay, so, okay, let's get into it. How did, you, <laughs> how did you feel about this episode?
1: Oh, that's how I felt about this episode. This was a I can't even call it a big episode because I don't feel like the plot really moved forward that much. It was just, there were a lot of good character moments. Um, but there was also just, there's just, there's just a lot.
0: Yeah. I think from a technical perspective, this is maybe one of the most well-produced episodes of the hundred, not in a theatrical kind of way, but in terms of like composition, there was so much content and, like, subtext happening on this screen. Um, And this is probably going to be one of our longer podcasts that we've done so far because there's just so much to parse through.
1: Although watch us, like, talk really fast and get through it (laughs) quicker than (laughs) we think. I mean, I I will say it wasn't one of my favorites this season, um, but that's also just because I, like, feel like this episode makes me out of breath, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it was, like, one of my favorites favorites it's really hard. there have been so many wonderful episodes this season but I do I really appreciate like the the thoughtfulness that went into making this episode and I, I think it was really really beautifully done.
1: Yeah and, and before we uh, continue, I just wanted to give a brief disclaimer that I am um, recovering from bronchitis. so I have taken my cough medicine. Hopefully I shouldn't be coughing at least not too much. But just in case I do, (laughs) I just want to apologize now. yeah at least you guys
0: don't have to live with her um oh yeah and one more thing before we really get into the recap i wanted to give a shout out and a thank you to Halela for giving us a really lovely review on itunes seriously thank you so much thank you and i apologize if i didn't pronounce your name correctly um if you guys could take a second and do the same we would really really appreciate it the more ratings we have the easier it is for other fans of the hundred to find us so please go rate and review yes thank you um all right let's get into the recap
1: Let's do it. <laughs> uh, um, I guess we should just start with Clark and Roan. Yeah, uh, that's gonna be. Fun. It's a doozy. Let's do it. But we do start on a great note because we open and Miller and Jackson are just like hanging out in the truck, flirting like crazy. <laughs> what is this new and beautiful thing?
0: So we like both reached for each other's hands when we watched this and I was just like, new ship, new ship, new ship. Didn't know I wanted this ship, but I'll take it. I I mean,
1: I, I'll be honest. I always saw Jackson as asexual. But um, I'm t- totally down for this new development. Like, if I can't have Minty, I will settle for this. Yeah,
0: I feel the same way. I'm still on Team Minty, but I don't think that's going to happen. What's their ship name? Is it uh, Maxon? Jiller? I don't know. I don't like Jiller. Milson. N- <laughs> I saw some people online calling it Maxon. So... Maxson? I, f- I feel like that's going to stick.
1: Okay. Well, I also knowing our fandom, though, it could be like Dr. Guard or assistant doctor guard i'm not really sure what jackson's title is <laughs> i
0: don't know i just hope it isn't jiller because that kind of reminds me of like a jiggle I don't, <laughs> like I, don't know, I don't like it i don't like it
1: um so abby tells clark that indra was with Skycrew when they found the bunker and they made a deal with them to share the space which means that roan is no longer their ally uh clark moves to warn roan of course because they're bros uh but abby holds her back saying that they'll make room for him if he comes peacefully so okay what the hell did Clark think was going to happen? Like, what was all that about like transcending tribalism? Was she only going to share the bunker with ice nation and no one else? Because that's, I mean, that's kind of what it sounded like from her lines here. Like she hadn't planned on ever telling tree crew.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know I I feel like the way they framed this scene we were supposed to be on Clark's side like shocked and dismayed with Abby's like transgression but I I honestly had no problem with the plan that Kane and Abby put into motion here like Asgata has proven they are incapable of getting along with the other clans Um, like they all seem to be able to hold together a coalition when Asgeta isn't around <laughs> so
1: I, I mean I have to be on team tree crew here I I, does, does Ice Nation have any allies? <laughs> you know, like, Tree Crew has a ton, and they could all live in the bunker together. I, I mean, Clark is often very naive in her expectations of people, but this was particularly off to me, because I, I think, out of everyone, Ice Nation doesn't deserve to be in that bunker. I mean, the only reason we care about them at all is because of Ron.
0: Right, exactly. And, and clearly, Clark's affection for him is clouding her ability to anticipate the wheels in motion
1: here. Yeah. Yeah, well... I guess we'll uh, see where that goes. Yeah. <laughs> so as Roan goes to greet Kane, he can kind of tell that something is off, just as Clark runs up behind him to beg Kane not to betray Roan. But as soon as Roan realizes that he's in a trap, Ice Nation swings into the rescue and captures Sky Crew, led by our problematic fave Echo. <laughs> <laughs> Echo's been gone a really long time. I kind of almost forgot about her.
0: I was just genuinely so happy to see her again. She is a total badass in this scene. <laughs> I don't even really like her, like as a person, or I don't like, and I don't also like as Getta, But
1: damn, <laughs> I-, I mean, she's she's definitely grown on me. I have to admit, but I, I, I'm just really curious to see where the rest of her art goes this season i think she's already come i don't know if i'd say a long ways but she's come a, she a has, little ways she has grown
0: there has been movement um i don't know about you but like the whole time ron was walking out to kane i just kept thinking over and over in my head about commander akbar from star wars screaming it's a trap it's a trap it's a trap <laughs>
1: <laughs> um echo tells roan that she grew suspicious when tree crew gave up the tower for the temple so she put all of her soldiers at the door to the temple to keep anyone from going in or out and roan tells her that she did good and he asks for one hated to, bring, to be brought in and you know look it must be a tuesday because clark is once again tied and gagged
0: <laughs> Yup. And I I have to say that as soon as Roan told Echo she had done a good job, I died a little (laughs) inside. You know, Echo has never seemed to pay much mind to what Roan thinks of her. But in this scene, she did seem to stand a little bit taller after he complimented her. Like her whole body language adjusted. And I do genuinely think she was very pleased to hear him praise her.
1: I I mean, I disagree. I think she does always care what he thinks of her. It was more like what she thinks of him that's in question. Uh, (laughs) I I totally think headcanon, Echo has like a sticker chart hidden in a room somewhere and she gets a gold star every time she gets a good job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, um, kudos to Tazia Tellis for making those like subtle changes because it conveyed so much about her
1: character and she's such a great actress. Yeah, she is great. I really hope that she doesn't die this season because I would like to see her continue to develop
0: me too i feel like she's got she has a lot more to give yeah
1: in fact like most to give yeah we've we've like barely scratched the surface Mm -hmm. here uh, so Roan asks Clark how long she knew, and she says that she just found out, and then he cuts her bonds and thanks her for trying to warn him. And, you know, whatever other issues we have right now, I do love and probably always will love their bromance, even though it's, it's it ends on rocky terms this episode.
0: Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll get into this more later, because I have so many thoughts on their bromance. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Clark doesn't want this to turn into a war, but as Roan says... It's already a war. And Clark maintains that Kane was trying to save Roan's life. And Roan agrees. Kane was trying to save his life, but not his people's. And, you know, I think in the same way that Clark would never allow herself to be saved when her people were not, I don't know how she can really expect that from Roan.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I I really respected Roan's position here, and I very much appreciated that he stood his ground.
1: I think Clark is just so desperate at this point. She's... Just grasping at anything, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think her desperation is clouding her judgment. Yeah. As
1: we'll get to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now that Asgata has the temple surrounded, Clark says that Indra has no choice but to talk to Rone, uh or but to uh, to talk to Indra and Roan together, to bring them together, to talk together. That is what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he won't bring Cain because, as he says, if anyone can convince mortal enemies to move in together, it's Clark.
0: <laughs> yep. Um, This is our favorite version of Clark like the one that finds the third third solution. You know she realizes that as has leverage here whether Rowan or Echo could recognize it before and she's just she's so damn smart. (laughs) And also I I really think Clark will be the last person to finally admit that Kane is not the stupid Chancellor or at least (laughs) that his title is moot at this point like as it has been this entire show.
1: Seriously, like, I don't know why they're even trying anymore. I, like, it's very clear that Clark is the leader and Kane is the ambassador. Those are the roles that they're playing. So, like, even with this ageism thing where, like, Kane, the adult, has to be the quote-unquote leader, it, does, it doesn't make any sense to me. I agree. And and even though Clark doesn't always make the best decisions, she's still the best leader they have in Sky Crew.
0: Right, and is, like, the, like, de facto leader that everybody, like, defers to. Mm-hmm. It, there's not even a... It's question anymore about who's in charge it's just laughable that they keep pretending
1: that it's Kane. it's actually funny like it i, I funny. always forget that kane is still like the like quote unquote chancellor but right and
0: i i really appreciate that roan is like okay let's be real here like you're the one who needs to be in that meeting
1: i don't think kane even feels like he's the chancellor you know what i mean yeah
0: <laughs> no the only person who doesn't know this is clark
1: uh oh, well, Roan and Clark are um, searched as they enter the temple and Clark sees Gaia and introduces herself and thanks her for helping Sky Crew to find the bunker. But Gaia says that Clark gave the flame to an unworthy king who saw it destroyed. So she's not as grateful. So Clark and Gaia, mm-hmm. these are two characters that I don't think we'll ever really see eye to eye. You know, Gaia puts so much of her trust in her own spirituality where Clark is much more focused on like the here and now so I'm really curious to see how their relationship progresses, especially after this episode.
0: Oh, I agree. And, you know, watching them in this episode really proved like how opposite they are. They're just made differently and they, they don't quite fit. Like they occupy completely different spaces. And I like that this kind of confuses Clark because she's never had to engage strategically with someone with this much religious faith before. And I, I think she doesn't know how, how to approach this.
1: Oh, yeah. Like Clark's usual tactics, like her particular brand of persuasion through like logic and also emotional manipulation, it probably won't work the same way on Gaia because she appears to have this like ironclad belief system that really drives her every action. Yeah,
0: exactly. And it's not an intelligence thing. Like they're both extremely smart. It's just that some people, they don't respond in kind. And I agree that Gaia will not be moved by Clark's methods here.
1: But I guess we'll see because I think that Gaia is going to be taking more of a, a front row center um, position for the rest of the season well
0: it's about time
1: <laughs> so clark and rune meet indra and the war chiefs of the uh, of the tree crew alliance in the bunker and indra says that war between their people is inevitable and the only reason it hasn't happened now is because lexa commanded it she says if lexa were still here people would have followed her but since there's now no commander to rule them war is their only option and i, ha- I have to ask you do you really think lexa could have gotten them all to share the bunker I mean, she was like able to wrangle an alliance together, but that was when they all had their separate territories and they didn't didn't have to interact if they didn't want to. But, you know, when you're trying to like squish 12 clans together into this tiny little space, I I don't even think that Lexa could have main, maintained control for long.
0: I'm really glad you brought this up because I was kind of wondering the same thing, actually. I, I think Lexa was an incredible leader. She accomplished something that none of the other commanders could have dreamed of. She united all the clans into an alliance, this coalition, but I, I think that the Grounders have treated Lexa posthumously exactly the way that a lot of other heroes are treated after they die. You know, their their memory becomes inflated. They're given expectations in death that they could have never lived up to in life. And I wonder if this isn't exactly what's happening with Lexa on this show.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Clark has so much faith in what Lexa was capable of that I don't think that Clark is really taking into account the reality of this situation Like, aside from Clark's drive to keep everyone alive, there's part of her here, I think, that really wants to do what Lexa would have done as a way to, like, honor her memory. Mm -hmm. Especially now that Lexa's gone, I I agree that Clark might have some sort of inflated sense of Lexa's capabilities. I I mean, mean, Indra here, too, says that they would have followed Lexa, but Indra herself was always so fiercely loyal to Lexa. Right, like, I
0: don't think that Indra would be, like, the... Like, She's not con- the best judge. Right, like the controlling, you know, pr- the person who would like work against like the inflation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think it makes sense that Endra would have that kind of faith in her. Uh, however, the Lexa we knew, she was honestly being called into question by other clans for basically the entire third season that she was alive. And she was barely able to maintain her hold in the alliance at the time of her death. So I don't know if that level of faith is quite warranted. Not not that she's, like, not a great leader, because she was, but I don't know if anyone could accomplish this particular feat of keeping mortal enemies from murdering each other in a confined space. Oh,
0: absolutely. You know, like, it's not a question about whether she was a good leader or not. All leaders are constantly questioned and threatened, and their reigns are, you know, marked with conflict. That's just life. But again, like, this is a... a, You're asking for a miracle, miracle here that, like, no one could
1: do. Yeah, you can't combat like, a hundred years of, of animosity. Right,
0: of, like, inherited prejudice and bias. So yeah. It's just, like, you're not going to... It's not going to work.
1: So as everyone leaves the bunker, Clark stays behind with Gaia, telling her that she can't let them fight a war over the one thing that can save them. And Gaia says that not even one Haida can stop the clans from fighting. But Clark says that a commander could. So she then shows Gaia that she's not a Nightblood and asks Gaia to make her the next commander. Okay,
0: do you want to start or should i okay well i'll i'll just say that boy am i glad that this did not happen okay you go
1: (laughs) i i mean i i was freaking out i won't lie i didn't think they would go this route and i hoped they wouldn't go this route but you never really know where this show is going um yeah i was panicking um
0: purely panicking but i i love that this show is sensitive to my anxiety and they didn't do it
1: i mean the writers were totally trolling us yeah
0: but um, let's wait to unpack this one till we get to the next scene. Yeah, okay,
1: good idea. Um, so Echo and Roan are discussing strategy when they hear the Ascension Call, and Roan realizes that he's been tricked and the flame still exists, and he knows just oh, who this awesome. new wannabe commander is. Yeah. So we uh, flash to the throne room, and everyone is shocked when the nightblood and now the soon-to-be commander turns out to be who else but Clark.
0: <sighs>
1: so just a random thought – I can't help but wonder whether the writers put this in here just so they could show what an Ascension looks like, like right before they totally tear apart this entire tradition.
0: Yeah, I actually was thinking that too. Like I can imagine the writers like trying to fit in an Ascension storyline this whole time on the show, but it like kept not working out and they just like ran out of time and they were like, well, we're just going to include it here.
1: (laughs) Um, just as Guy is about to give Clark the flame, and when we were like all sweating quite a lot, oh <laughs> Roan bursts out that Clark is making a mockery of their faith. And thus a collective sigh of relief was heard from around the world. <laughs> like like I I was like, my heart was beating oh my so. Fast. It was
0: so intense. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get into all of that, um, because there there is a lot to say about this, um, I just wanted to note that I feel like we can credit Roan's outburst here to more than just like a tactic to gain the upper hand politically. There, there's been plenty of other situations, I think, where Clark and Roan have both done really crazy things on the fly and just trusted that the other person would understand what their purpose was because it would be ultimately like worth the goal, even if they didn't really understand where they were going with it. Um, but here Roan like refuses to cede to Clark's plan and not only like calls her out on it, but he starts a conclave on top of it. This is like, feels like a huge overreaction to me. Um, and it just, this it's just like, it feels like it stems from a personal injury more than anything else. Like I love that his relationship with Clark is so murky now and I don't think that he can really parse out the extent of what is driving his reaction. It's just, it's really fun to watch him feel this like hatred for someone who is technically his enemy, but but isn't his enemy he's really his friend um, and he just like doesn't understand where this sort of emotion is coming from
1: yeah I, I honestly i took something very different away from his actions here oh okay um like i i do think that he feels betrayed that Clark didn't tell him about the about the flame but i also think that more than anything else this was roan's practicality coming out in full force mm. Like, look, we can talk more in a minute about whether Clark should or shouldn't have volunteered to take the flame, but the fact of the matter is she wouldn't have been able to keep people together for long in that bunker, even if she was the commander. And and Roan knows this, and I don't think he is blinded by that same um, devotion to Lexa that leads Indra to think that, you know, Lexa was this all-powerful figure. Roan knows his people, and he knows that there is no version of this plan that wouldn't have ended in death for a lot of people in that bunker, like maybe everybody. Uh, So Roan just really wants to stop this before it gets too far, and I think he's willing to say anything he can do to, to do so. Uh, I also think there's a small part of him that respects her for this because he knows, and I believe Clark knows too, that taking the flame, I think it would really be a curse for Clark. Like, it's not a burden that she wants to carry, and I think that Roan on some level understands this. I I don't think he's feeling warm and fuzzy toward her right now, but I do think that he still cares about her, and I do think that having the flame would ultimately destroy Clark by either, like, internal or external forces. Um... One thing I am pretty sure about, though, is that I don't think religion played any part in Roan's outburst here. I think he's just using that as an excuse to turn his people against Clark.
0: Oh, I agree with that completely. And I never really thought about it that way before, but I actually agree with you now that you said that.
1: And I also – I think that I can see also your point of view, and I think it might be like a mixture of all of those things because Roan – and Clark they're very complex characters yeah, and
0: I think that's what I was getting at is that you know it, I think that there is a level of practicality here to to Roan's outbursts and it's very clearly a design to gain the political upper hand but I also think there are, is some emotional factor here that's like his face was just so red like he, he wasn't faking it is what I'm saying he was lying
1: oh yeah he was he was he mad was, he was pissed he was mad I like do not discount that yeah <laughs> Um, so Clark is desperately trying to keep everyone else on her side, and she reminds Roan that she is trying to save them, to which Roan says, because you think we're savages in need of saving. And what a hell of a line that was! Oh my god, <laughs> it was a total punch to the gut. And that line, I think, was desperately needed here, both for Clark's development and for the real-world context of um, her decision to take the flame. The, the you know the social commentary that it's it's saying for the discussions that are happening right now in our world. Um, I've been thinking all week about how to talk about this because my thoughts are kind of all over the place. So I guess before Britt and I get into this, I do want to say that we are both white, straight, cisgendered women. And so our perspective here is obviously very limited. And there are really many discussions going on online from people who are part of minority groups and who are much more qualified to talk about cultural appropriation than we are. But I do want to break down Clark's decision here and I want to look at it from all sides because I think that this is very in character for Clark. And when you look at it from her perspective, I I understand how she came to this decision. But the show is all about POV, and we don't get to view the Grounder culture from Grounder's point of view very often. So I think we should definitely talk about that first. Yeah,
0: I agree. And um, I just want to say that I echo everything that Sarah <laughs> just said. And if, you know, through the discussion that is about to take place, if we do say something that seems insensitive, you know, I just want to say that it, it doesn't come from a place of intolerance. It just comes from a place of, of talking and trying to understand this show.
1: Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, to start off with looking at this, um, in the universe of the hundred and looking at what this decision means for the grounders. We come into the show with the delinquents, so they've always been our window into how we view this world. So, like from the first season, these grounders were just these like they were like these terrifying, violent, shadowy figures who seem to be attacking Sky Crew for no reason. And as the seasons have um, progressed, we've slowly been introduced more and more to the complexity of the grounder society. And now that we have some grounder characters who have taken more of a leading role in the show, you know, people like. Um, like Indra, like Roan, Lexa, Lincoln, even Ilian and Nyla, we're now getting a much more nuanced look at Grounders and who they are. And through them, I think we're also able to see the Sky Crew from their point of view as, you know, these invaders almost who are coming in and trying to force them into a new way of life, a way of life that they might deem more like, quote-unquote, civilized. But here's the thing. So... (laughs) Skycrew, they may be more technologically advanced, but they are just as brutal as the Grounders, and perhaps even more so. I mean, for starters, Skycrew sends their own children down to Earth to die. I mean, that's something that I can't imagine the Grounders ever doing, especially without giving them any tools to defend themselves. Um, and that's just really the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Sky Crew used to execute every single adult who did something illegal, no matter how small a crime. And I get that this is in part necessary when you live in a space with a very limited uh, amount of resources, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Like those two things don't necessarily coincide.
0: Right. They're not mutually exclusive. Right. right. And like, again,
1: like who we are and who we need to be to survive are very different things. Exactly. Um, So when it comes to grounder religion, no matter how it developed over the last hundred years, this is something that is very central to the way that their society is formed. Like their religion is built around certain tenets that mirror the way that they live. Like, um, for example, the grounders believe, uh, most deeply in the power of the sword and bravery and like living and dying as a warrior. And they choose their commanders based on physical combat, uh, physical combat because they, um, believe that only the strongest among them can lead their people. So on the flip side, we have grounders like um, Ilian and Nyla too, who are very deeply peaceful and spiritual, and they seem to have an understanding that life is a circle, and that you can't have life without death, and that death also brings new life, which parallels the way that the flame kind of allows the current commander to tap into the consciousness of commander's past. And all of this is integral to their culture, And to have someone like Clark, who is not part of that, come in and try to assert her own will and beliefs over them is, honestly, is a perversion of their faith. And that's, it's not only to say that, but it's also... It's also incredibly belittling for for Clark to try to manipulate herself into this like position of power in the grounders culture, as if these people are children who need her guidance, especially when Clark does not respect their religion or honestly have any sort of understanding what faith and religion even are because she's she just doesn't work on that level.
0: I agree. I think, you know, very well articulated. Um, Of course, there is another aspect to this as well, in that what you're talking about focuses really on the inside of the universe of the show and the show politics itself but this show doesn't this show does exist in our world and there are social constructs and current cultural tender spots that it, they're speaking directly toward So, like, no piece of media can exist in a vacuum. You know, if a a story is doing anything worthwhile, it should be aiming to explore humanity and reveal some truth through the characters' choices, which this show excels at. Um, And I I think this show has been under fire for being insensitive sometimes and for being careless in their plot choices. But I think for the most part, the writers are incredibly conscious of the world that, you know, we all live in um, and that they coexist with their audience. And I think the insertion of this line is so powerful because it exposes this deeper truth and that is that this kind of behavior of cultural appropriation is just unacceptable and it makes people deeply uncomfortable and that includes the writers themselves. There's a lot of story to get through in this show um, and they, they can't spend too much time dwelling on these like hefty complicated topics but they, do, but they chose to include it, you know, just the same and this is to make a point and I, I think that having Rowan B of the vehicle to make this statement is in some ways a statement in itself.
1: Oh yeah, you know, in so many ways, Roan is an outsider in his own culture, but in this instance he is more part of his culture than Clark can ever be. Like so he he was definitely an interesting voice to have here and I wonder if that's going to be expanded on at all going forward.
0: Maybe, I don't know. The writers they have a lot to juggle and I, I don't envy them the heavy <laughs> burden of that monumental task that is the the show, the 100. Um and the you know, it's just like the placement of this particular line at this specific moment in time is a culmination of a lot of external conversations that have taken place outside of the show and has obviously had a direct effect on it. Um, and this just feels like the writers are using Ron as a megaphone, showing us that they're listening, they're learning, they're trying to do right by the characters and by the fans.
1: Yeah, I, I genuinely think that the real-world social context of this plotline here could be like an entire podcast unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but for that, Britt and I would obviously want to add more diverse voices than our own. So I think we're just going to leave this here for now. Um, and if you kind of want to... Learn more about this. There are some great discussions going on online that you can kind of uh, read through more. Yes. Um, But before we move on, just switching back to Clark's point of view for a moment, I also want to say that I, I really do feel sympathetic to Clark's decision here. Like, she is just so desperate to keep everyone alive that she is willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And Clark has always been this, like, live in the now, deal with the consequences later kind of character. And I do think that this would have been a very short-term fix for their problem, whether or not Clark has realized that. But I, I also still believe that this is the person that Clark is and always will be. Like, she is never going to not be the person who would choose this if this were seeming to be the only other option available. Um she will take any option presented to her to help her people, whether they ask for it or not. And yeah. sometimes that option will be the wrong option as it is here. Um, I'm actually reaching a point where I am glad that Clark has been so fallible this season because it's giving her so much room to grow. Um, I'm really excited to see what, I'm really excited to see where she goes next season because I have an idea for certain characters, but not Clark um, so Clark's like this black hole to me in the future. I, I think that Clark still has a lot to learn. But I also think that her heart is always in the right place, even if her mind makes a bad decision.
0: Agreed. You know, we've seen time and time and again that, you know, Clark has a problem thinking in macro terms. First with the godforsaken list, TM, (laughs) um, which really just kind of felt like a precursor to this moment now that I think about it. Um, She has a habit and a pattern of behavior. And all I can say is that at least she's consistent. But I do think like to what you were saying, she came into the show or really we came into the show with a a near perfect Clark. She was we've said before she's almost too perfect so i think the writers have really taken a lot of effort this season to round her out and make her more human which as you said leaves a lot more room for her to grow and i am excited about that
1: yeah i mean there are some cracks showing in her right now i think like the stress of trying to keep not just her people alive but all the people alive is is really starting to show it's starting to take a toll on her um not that i i guess she also could she also she really needs a break <laughs>
0: everyone
1: everyone needs a break (laughs) so Roan brings Abby in and Abby tells everyone that Clark became a nightblood through science so because now anyone could potentially take the flame Roan says they can no longer trust the flame and instead they can trust the sword but Roan proposes instead of like everyone murdering everybody that they hold their own conclave so 13 warriors one from each clan fight to the death last warrior standing takes the bunker and everyone else dies.
0: Yeah. So this is the Hunger Games on steroids.
1: I mean, yeah, basically. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do really like um, Roan's suggestion here. Like, as as horrible as it sounds, I think Roan knows deep down that this like – these 13 lives or 12 lives up front will save a ton of lives down the road. And this kind of contest is something that all of the clans, maybe excluding Sky Crew, uh, but all the other clans will respect.
0: It could. And more importantly, it's going to make for awesome television. Oh, my
1: gosh. I'm so excited. for We are actually recording this, like, right before um, episode 10. So, yeah. like, as soon as we're done with this, we can watch episode 10. And, guys, I'm so excited. We're, but I'm not going to go there yet. No, <laughs> no, <we're>,
0: we <laughs> That's for next podcast. Can't do it. We have to stay on task.
1: <laughs> um, I wish that we knew though, like just how many people comprise the thirteen clans. Because the bunker has space for twelve hundred. So theoretically, how many clans could fit inside? Like, could they all fit inside? Because like Sky Crew has at least four hundred people in and of itself. Um, so that's like a third of the bunker right there. So surely the other twelve clans have more than six hundred people combined, and yet they were like kind of talking as if all the clans could survive there. Yeah
0: the math is really wonky and I, I need the writers to clarify this. I'm very confused.
1: I mean, let's be real here though. Whoever wins, if it's not SkyCrew, they're still going to need SkyCrew's help in the bunker because the grounders will know how to work any of the tech systems. So I don't know what they're joking with there. And and, and I feel like if TreeCrew won, they'd at least let their allies into the bunker as well. So I, I don't know if this is um, totally a winner take all kind of game, but I can't wait to find out. Me too. I'm so excited. (laughs) Battle Royale. Okay. Let's, uh, so let's uh, close out this, this discussion and move on um, to want to do Octavia. Yeah, let's do Octavia. Let's do Octavia. Oh my God. Also so excited about this. So uh, at Illion's farm, he is teaching Octavia to till the soil, and she's just kind of like pathetically hacking away at the ground. <laughs> and Ilian is really showing a bit more of his humor here in this episode. Like, I love the, are you tilling the soil or stabbing it line from him? Because like, obviously, since it's Octavia, she is stabbing it. And um, she apparently only knows how to stab, it seems.
0: Right. And I love this scene because it has Illion in it. The end. <laughs>
1: um Octavia wonders why they're even bothering since they're all going to be dead before anything grows but Ilian says they are doing this for those who come after them and I must say at this point guys I am now fully on board the Ilian train I love him like I'm gonna try not to gush but he is just this like really refreshing character this season in the same way that um I find nyla a really refreshing character i I think his outlook on life is just... It's, it's beautiful. Like he's done some not so great things this season, but at least I always understood his motive. Like he wasn't in a good place and, and for a good reason. Um, but it seems like he has really come to terms with his lot in life and now just wants to enjoy the time he has left. And he's just a really great contrast for characters like Jasper. Um, and now in this episode, Harper who even though they say they just want to live life are really just giving up. Whereas Iliam has come to this point of peace with himself and his fate. Yes.
0: To all of that. Um, And not to get too meta, but I love how this whole episode is obsessed with death, um, both as a final destination and as a cyclical journey. Like you and I, we talk a lot about how Ilian is much more, quote unquote, adjusted to his new reality um than some of the others like Octavia and like Jasper uh and I think this this line that he says here shows how content he is he's accepted his fate and he's even optimistic about future generations which is a mental state I I honestly don't think anyone else on this show is exhibiting at the moment like he seems to be like miles ahead of the game in terms of mental health than everybody else
1: I mean, I don't even know how you can arrive at that mental state. Like, he's miles beyond probably where I would be at that point in time. Yeah,
0: I'm just saying he's, like, an advanced human, <laughs> and I love him.
1: I think he's just been through so much pain in his life at this point that death actually might sound a little peaceful to him. Like, he's just...
0: Right, but in a way that, like, Jasper and Harper are clearly looking for an escape. Yeah. He is accepted the cards that life has... I mean, he's just... He's much more... Why, he is wiser oh yeah than oh, yeah. all of them is what i'm trying to say he's like gandalf
1: yeah <laughs> just like gandalf he he's like i can't even tell them difference between them <laughs> oh, one i'm attracted to <laughs> and one i'm not <laughs> that's the difference um Another Trishana crew member, Ankara, shows up and she tells Ilian that Tree Crew is calling on their allies to fight the Ice Nation and that he is needed in battle. But Ilian refuses and tells her to get off his land. And Octavia is really surprised that Ilian was a warrior, but Ilian says that there's not much point in fighting here at the end of the world.
0: did you? Did you notice how Ilian suddenly became ten times more attractive to Octavia in this scene? Like the second she learned he was a
1: warrior, her she got these like little heart eye emojis. <laughs> I, I I mean, I mean Octavia is trying out this new not killing people to solve your problems thing that Ilian is going for him, but um her heart isn't really in it. Yeah. You know, as Luna once said, fighting is really all Octavia knows, and she's never truly going to find peace until she's ready to find peace. And even, you know, with cute um, pacifist grounder boys teaching her how to till soil it's still not enough <laughs> <laughs> I also I just wanted to call out that while it seems
0: like every other single grounder is hell-bent on fighting Elian is just like chilling he's like no I'm all good like his ability to rise above grievances and focus on the little time that they have left and not get bogged down with the infighting is is really a testament to just how wonderful he is
1: oh yeah he's just like what is the point like yeah. what well, you guys are gonna kill each other and then everyone it's else is going so to mature. die I love him <laughs> Uh, so we flash back to later we see Octavia and Ilian are lying in bed together, but all Octavia can think about is that there is a war going on outside that she is not a part of. And Ilian says that war will not stop Prime Faya, but to Octavia at least, it would be a warrior's death, not just like melting. So I've been thinking a lot about the kind of people that Octavia is drawn toward. And I do think that Lincoln and Ilian have a lot in common. Like, t- to be fair, I don't see Octavia and Ilian right now as like an actual relationship. And I don't think that's what the show is saying either. But um, from Octavia's end in particular... She is just looking for some sort of small comfort to make her feel less empty inside. I do think that this could someday turn into something more when Octavia is in a better place, uh, because I think Alien feels like a great fit for her. I mean, I think so. Nyla aside, Alien's also wonderful. (laughs) Um, Lincoln and Ilya both have these just like really peaceful souls. Like They were both people who wanted to grow and create, but instead they seem to be forced into this cycle of wars and violence. Never ending. <laughs> I do get the sense that Lincoln felt a greater responsibility toward the tree crew warriors than Ilian does to um, the Trishana crew warriors. But I also think that they both crave a life that isn't really offered to them in grounder culture. And I have to wonder if Ilion is, I think we, we talked about earlier, in some way relieved about the end of the world because it's giving him the chance at peace that he's always wanted deep down. I, I wish that Lincoln could have found freedom in that same way, but he... He was a victim of another system, the Sky Crew system, as I said, just as violent as the grounder culture, but in a different, more um, sterile way. Mm -hmm. And I do, I think it's interesting
0: that Octavia is drawn to people who are so soothing, you know, where she's, she's blistering and she's volatile and it's like her instinct is to find people who can calm her down. It's like her own feng shui.
1: (laughs) Octavia, I think she does want to find a better way to live. But to do so, she's going to have to find a better outlet for her anger than violence. Um, Both both Lincoln and Ilian have tried and are trying to teach her that, but that's not something that can be just, like, given to you. You have to actually choose it for yourself. And Octavia has not yet chosen to end the fight. No. No, she has not. Uh, Ilian says that Octavia um, – Ilian tells Octavia that his people have a saying. He says, do not fear death, for it is only the beginning of the next journey. Octavia asks if he believes in reincarnation, and Ilian says that crops die in winter, then return in spring, and that most people don't know when their winter will come, but they do, and that's a gift. Why should they waste that time fighting? I just,
0: I love this conversation about reincarnation because it's such a stark contrast from the way that Jasper and his gang viewed death. You know like we talked about earlier Elian has this beautiful optimism that is so unique to this show I I love the way the writers play with this death and reincarnation theme you know even by making Elian a farmer and having him illustrate this clear example of how nature is reincarnation reincarnation itself you know it's the natural order of life and death it's sort of subtly implies that the way Jasper views death and the way Octavia was treating death you know before she and Elian sort of like went off on their farm adventure (laughs) is this sort of like corruption of the natural order of things and it's an imbalance like this idea of reincarnation it also reminded me of butterflies and and how they all have like these different phases where they transform from one thing to another and Octavia has usually been associated with butterflies on the show it's like her visual symbol and
1: I, I just like the way they kind of tie all of these things together it's so clever I really like that you bring up butterflies here which also Um, fits so naturally into what Iliam was discussing about how crops die in the winter and come back in spring. And it makes me wonder whether, um, like, caterpillars know what's going to happen to them when they make their cocoons. Because, like, Octavia's had so many transformations on the show. And she keeps treating each one like it's the end of her arc. Like, like this person is all she'll ever be. And yet, she still keeps changing. And be it for the better or for the worse. Uh, There have been some inconsistencies in her portrayal this season, I think, but it hasn't, um, it, it hasn't been as smooth as I would have liked, but overall I can, I can see the direction that she's heading and I can see that it's something that I could really come to love. She just needs to undergo that final transformation. I don't know how she'll do that. I don't know what the impetus will be, but whatever it is, it's something that she has got to decide for herself. Like, no one can force her to change. Agreed. And I think we can see here that she's
0: still undergoing that final transformation. The process isn't complete, you know. But she is crying here. This is something that she hasn't demonstrated at all, except for her breakdown in the cave with Ilian. You know, Ilian allows Octavia to become more vulnerable and emotional. And I think that's why I love these scenes
1: with them together, because he helps her grow. I'm so glad you reminded me about the crying because that really shows how much she wants to believe that there is more to this world than pain and violence, like that there is a way that she and the people that she loves can find peace. And I think a few of those tears might also be for Lincoln. Mm -hmm. You know, she wants to believe that he can be born back into a world that's better than the one that he left.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: So Inkara and a couple of the other grounder warriors come back to Ilian's farm later, and they realize that Octavia is the Skyripa. Yeah. So they know Octavia cut off Taro's head back in Polis, And Octavia says that she's not that person anymore. And can I just say, what was Octavia trying to do here? Like, hey, I'm not the same person who cut off your friend's head, so don't be mad at me. Like, like those grounders have every right to attack her.
0: Yeah, I, I do appreciate that she gave them fair warning before ripping them apart. Like, she tried really hard to get them to leave her alone. Like, if you kick a hornet's nest, you're going to get stung.
1: Well, they certainly got stung because (laughs) as they start fighting her, she is kind of like weakly protesting for a minute, but then pretty quickly just like switches into murder mode. Yeah. And like, I swear, I totally expected everything to go black and white like in Kill Bill. (laughs) Like, you can see that moment where she just shuts off that humanity switch and like takes them all out.
0: Oh, yeah. She totally hulked out. And Maria is such an amazing actor. In the physical sense because like not only could you see it so sharply in her eyes but her whole body language adjusted. You know her muscles tensed and she was just wound up like a spring and exploded and it was it was amazing acting.
1: Yeah again it doesn't take a lot for her to revert back to this person that she's been since Lincoln's death. And Illion, like, walks in as she's hacking up their dead bodies. And the look on his face is just, like, he is horrified. Octavia is sitting here just, like, drenched in the blood of his people, both literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Octavia tells him that this is who she is, I think it's the first time that a part of him believes her. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do
0: have faith that these two will stay connected throughout this season and possibly the rest of the show in some way, romantic or otherwise. But at this moment in time, it's just really hard to imagine him wanting to continue to have a relationship with her of any nature at all.
1: He, I mean, Ilian just feels like such a pure soul to me. Like, not that he hasn't killed and, you know, um, like burned down people's homes or whatever. You know, <laughs> just that thing. That, that stuff. <laughs> but uh, as I discussed earlier, I don't think he has any desire to be a warrior. No. Um, I do think he understands how deep Octavia's pain runs, and he knows that it is that pain that drives her. The question is whether she has enough of her soul left to overcome that pain, or to even want to. Right. Uh, I do see Ilian sticking around to find out. I don't know if he is in, um, if he is really happy with her right now, but I don't think that this is the end of
0: their road. Neither do I.
1: Uh, because, you know, like, what else is he going to do, tend his sheep? No, he's going to melt. They have five days to live. <laughs> okay tend to sheep and then melt
0: (laughs) (sighs) so we're gonna leave the last octavia scene till the very end of the podcast and bring all of those different storylines together so do you want to move on to the next one
1: yeah let's do the uh the monte bellamy jasper scene okay so, um, in Arcadia, Jaha is telling the rest of Skyker about the bunker they found, and everyone's like congratulating Monty, including Harper, but she doesn't really look as excited about this new way out as um, she should.
0: Yeah, and insert my obligatory eye roll at Jaha's preaching as usual here. <laughs> and
1: Monty, my love, you know I adore you, but that like gag worthy comment about Harper being the most beautiful thing you've ever seen it was really bad. It was so bad, I didn't <laughs> notice it twice. I noticed it twice, and it was really bad twice. It
0: blocked it out of my mind. I just
1: kind of like cringe every time I hear that. Um, Bellamy comes over, and he's like looking a little bit rough. And Monty teases him about being too hungover to help pack. Um, But as Bellamy says, there was no hope now there is hope (laughs) (laughs) yeah just he just like subtly justified Monty
0: and himself that you know without the promise of spending eternity with clark you know he'll do whatever the hell he wants
1: (laughs) i mean bellamy does not allow himself to have fun when there are other options yeah your other option is or death (laughs) Um, so we go over, we see Riley whining about going into the bunker and listening to what Jaha says, but then Jasper asks when they've ever listened to what Jaha says. And I'm sitting here, you know, like you do you, Riley, you do you, you stay out of that bunker. You don't want to be in season five anyway. I'm like trying to Jedi mind control him to die. I mean, as much as we joke, here's the thing about Riley that is annoying as hell. I mean, there's so many things. We know that the writers can make, like, every peripheral character that they want to on this show feel like people. And not just people, but, like, people we love. I mean, for example, I think Riley has possibly been in more episodes than Nyla has. And yet I would, like, die for Nyla. Whereas I would push Riley off the cliff myself. (laughs) The writers are not putting any effort here into allowing us to understand what drives him. Like, it does not seem um, like they... It, I guess it does seem like they might be setting him up to die here in this plotline, line. Um, and I'm wondering if that's like a way to kill somebody that we quote unquote know, but who still isn't that big of a deal. And I can't help but compare this to um, Gina's fridging in season three, except with Gina. And I, I do think that a lot of people maybe would disagree with me here, but I genuinely grew to care about her and the few episodes that we knew her. So like, well, her death actually did kind of hurt me in some way, and not just because it hurt Bellamy, but like I, I thought she was pretty cool, and I was excited to see more of her. Um, but Riley is useless, and I wish he didn't exist. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree 100%. I, I can't stand
0: him, and every time he's on the screen, I just think, go vote yourself. Um, <laughs> Gina's fridging was a true fridging in that it, it felt like she had a lot of potential that could have been mined for story and background, but they didn't give her any room to develop and the writers admitted to the pacing of season three was way off, so maybe they really wanted to, but they just couldn't fit it in. And with Riley, he's got, gotten plenty of screen time. They just don't develop him or give him anything to do
1: other than wine, and no one has time for that. Wait for it, wait for it. I, I think it's clear at this point that Britt and I are team DNRR. DNR. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> DNRR. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do, you, do not resuscitate Riley.
1: <laughs> I like it. Um, Harper is lying on her bed, um, unable to pack. I shouldn't be laughing at this because it's a very serious scene. It is it's um, serious. Okay, collect myself. <laughs> um, Harper tells Monty that she is tired of fighting. And when he promises that they'll be safe in a bunker, she says that every time they think about this or they think that they'll be safe, something bad happens. And I know I just talked last episode about not caring much for Harper's character, but I am really glad that they included this scene, because it makes it very clear that Harper is severely depressed. And I think that's a totally valid reaction from someone who's been through as much as she has. Um, that said, I don't really believe it, because it's not something that we've really seen up until she left poor Lewis slash trevor to die in the Black rain. Uh, with Jasper, you know, it's been a straight, albeit downhill, progression. But for Harper, it doesn't really feel quite as organic to me.
0: I completely agree. It's, it's like the writers heard us last podcast and were like, oh, we better give this character some development. Um, and I, I do agree um, that it felt rushed. However, I, I also think that sometimes people just experience depression in ways that are not noticeable to people who aren't looking for it. And I, I can appreciate that they had Harper trudging along, like, barely holding holding it together until she's just unable to function and the depression completely takes over. Like, you and I talked a lot about how important Jasper's depression was, like, as far as representation goes on this show, um, just to demonstrate that most humans would not be able to handle the mental strain and trauma that these people have been under, and bear it as well as Clark and Bellamy do. Like, trauma affects everyone a little differently, and Clark and Bellamy rise to the occasion every time. And and Jasper's just sinks, in that in that same line of thought. Like I, I like that we see how depression also works differently in different people. And and Harper's depression was just much harder than Jasper's to
1: detect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's a, that's a really good point. Um, it makes me wonder if we were to go back and rewatch the show under uh, the lens of Harper being. Uh, if Harper, like, slowly becoming more and more depressed over time, whether we would find subtleties that the writers have been kind of working in there that I just didn't pick up. Yeah, I actually think we would. And I, I was wondering that, too. Monty notes that spending their last days wasted is apparently a popular choice for the people that he cares about, and he hopes that she will change his mind. But Harper says that she won't. Um, Monty tells her that she didn't leave Lewis behind that day because she's a coward, She did it because she wants to live, and today is the first time he ever thought she was a coward." Oh, it kills me that the two people in Monty's life are both choosing death right now over life, and no matter how much he wants to help them, he just can't. Yeah, and it's not just that they're just not choosing
0: life, they're choosing life without Monty, like they're actively picking suicide over the chance to build a future with him, and it's it's just heartbreaking, and I just want nice things for
1: him. It makes me hurt to think about him, like, taking it personally in some small way, even if he knows that he shouldn't. Like, is he asking himself why, if Harper and Jasper care about him, would they choose to die painfully when there's a way to stay alive? I hope he isn't, but he seems
0: like the type who would partially question whether there is something innate about him that makes him easy to leave. Um again it's it's really complicated because we know that this is how mental illness works. It actually isn't personal. People who suffer from depression often are not capable of considering that their life would be an additive to the people they love and they can only imagine that life without them would be better and happier for them. But that that doesn't make this any easier on Monty and I I just want to give him a giant hug.
1: Yeah. So Nyla, the the deepest love of my life, um, she stops Harper in the halls, saying that she's going the wrong way, but Harper just shakes her head and joins Jasper's doomsday party. And again, Nyla's just showing how intuitive she is. Like, instead of trying to talk Harper out of it, she just lets her go because she knows that, you know, there's nothing she could say to change Harper's mind. And I think she believes that everyone should have a choice in this matter.
0: Yeah, it, it's something that takes the boys an entire episode to figure out what Nyla figures out in about 0.5 seconds. Nyla has this glorious feminine quality that the show really celebrates. She's soft and intuitive and empathetic, and it's such a sign of her strength and her intelligence, um, and I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, again,
1: it wouldn't be a SkyCast episode if I didn't say just how much I adore Nyla. <laughs> I, I, I'm just I'm so glad she has had more of a presence this season. She must be protected at all costs. She must be like... If she ever dies, I would be devastated. God help us. (laughs) Um, she's She's just a great and needed addition. Yeah, she is. So Jaha sees Jasper's group isn't packing, and he tells them that participation in the future of the human race isn't optional. Harper is worried that they're going to make them go into the bunker, but Jasper says that this is a test, and he reminds everyone that if they choose to stay, they are choosing death. Jasper in this scene was just really creeping me out. I, I mean, Jasper's like completely checked out. This is, this is not where I wanted to see his arc go this season. I, I mean, I, 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 I wanted him to have an arc, which he is not. Mm-mm. But at this point, we have to accept the fact that Jasper's not making it past the next few episodes. Um, in many ways, I think he's already gone, and I think he's been gone for a long time now. Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: really disappointed that instead of giving him an arc, they basically just extended the suicide, suicide scene that they cut from last season's finale and dragged it out through this entire season.
1: Yeah, I, I will say that I did like having this perspective this season, you know, this perspective of someone who doesn't want to go back to living like they did before they came to Earth. Like that that does feel like a very natural response to have for a certain type of person. But um, I I think there was a way that they could have done that where Jasper could have actually grown throughout the season, like to whatever end, I don't know. However, he's just felt very stagnant. Like they didn't quite know what to do with him. So they just kind of like had him like in the corner making sassy comments. Uh, And I, I just, I like hate, hate, hate that he is probably going to go out like this. Like after we have invested so much in him in the last four seasons, I'm really worrying that I won't feel satisfied with his ending.
0: Yeah, me too. I, I don't think that they knew what to do with him after they couldn't go through with the original plan to have him commit suicide, which would have been the natural completion of that arc that they were writing last season. Um, but they, they've never let me down before, so maybe they'll surprise us. I, I don't know.
1: Maybe. I mean, they are running out of time. I think that if he, as horrible as it sounds, I think if he had died last season, I would have felt more satisfied than had he than him dying now. Um, and even if they do pull out a twist at the end, I, I feel like his story has been so one note this season that any growth won't have been earned.
0: Yeah, I see that. Um, I'm just
1: going to withhold judgment until the end of this season and then we shall see. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So Jasper and his death brigade are like locked in the mess hall partying. Um, Jaha and his crew are outside discussing how to break open the door. So Jaha is, like, yelling in at Jasper that they are not going to leave children down here to die. But Bellamy reminds him that he has already sent kids down to die. The only difference is that they now have a choice. So, burn from Bellamy. Like, I swear Jaha has, like, a selective memory sometimes. Or, or you know, like, like most the time. times.
0: Yeah. Nothing nothing gives me more pleasure than watching Bellamy roast Jaha.
1: And I mean, it's so true, too. Jaha, he, he like, he shouldn't get to decide... When he does and doesn't care about these kids.
0: Like, it's just the fact that he still considers them children after everything they've been through and what he has done to them is absurd.
1: But I will say this is a bit of a turning point here for Jaha as well, because he actually listens to Bellamy and acknowledges that they can't save people who don't want to be saved. And I, I don't know if this is going to have any bearing on his characterization going forward, but I am glad that he ultimately decides to them make their own decision.
0: Yeah, it's really brilliant, actually, because the whole concept of DNR is so that the patient doesn't have to suffer this protracted illness. And that's what this whole jasper arc felt like you know one long extended suffering when jaha finally releases his control over them all of the tension finally vanished and it was a really cathartic moment
1: yeah and i will say branching off from this that i do believe that jasper is um willing to die instead of living a half-life in the bunker however i am a little bit skeptical that there are so many of them who want to choose a horrible death versus five years in the bunker
0: Yeah, I also thought that was odd. Um, But then again, I've never grown up in space and been used as a human science experiment to see if a planet was Mm -hmm. viable to house humans again, etc., etc. So I can't really say what my mental state would be at this point.
1: Okay, valid point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Still, though, the human drive to survive is so strong. I mean, mean, as Monty says, that's why Harper left poor Trevor to die in the acid rain. Um, It is hard to imagine so many people just deciding to die and and you know we we see our main characters go through so much but I, I will I guess we we never do see what these background characters are going through um which is probably why this feels so strange to me they're like the Hufflepuffs yeah
0: <laughs> I mean maybe they've just all been swept up in the glamour of suicide and may come to get it by the end yeah that's actually
1: yeah that's I that's that's a good point and um one I've, I've also been thinking about they're There's something morbidly romantic about going out partying in like a literal blaze of glory here, if you pardon the pun. Um, And I could definitely see people changing their minds and growing scared once reality is setting in that they've been left here to die.
0: I mean, it's literally all fun and games, but let's see what happens when they actually start, as Octavia puts it, melting. Oh, nice.
1: Um, Monty doesn't want to accept the fact that they are going to leave the rest of the group behind, and he asks Bellamy, if Octavia was there, would he let her stay? And Bellamy says, if Octavia was in there, at least he would get to say goodbye.
0: Oh, this was so wonderful. <laughs> the last time we heard anything from Bellamy about Octavia was when we finally saw him accept that she's a grown woman and she had to choose to save herself. You know, we talk about consistency a lot on this show and I, I really appreciate how they don't just drop these kinds of character developments. I love that Bellamy has learned this lesson. It has stuck.
1: It's not something that he's going to forget. Um, Yeah, it's just great. I definitely think this line is leading into a larger Bellamy-Octavia storyline next episode. Um, We've heard from Bob Morley and Maria – how's her name? Avgaropoulos? Avropolis. Very long, complicated name. Greek name. (laughs) Um, They have talked a lot about how episode 10 is going to be a big episode for Bellamy's and Octavia's relationship. And I think a lot of people online were saying that um, Bellamy might, like, step in and take Octavia's place in a fight – But that has never sat quite right with me because it doesn't seem like something that Octavia would actually appreciate. What she would appreciate, I think, is Bellamy supporting her in the upcoming fight. And I wonder if the way Bellamy steps up is to um, actually advocate for her to be the fighter for Sky Crew. Really showing Octavia how much he trusts and believes in her. You know, she doesn't want to protect her. She wants to feel to feel useful, to feel needed, and this would really show how Bellamy is letting her grow into her own person. Like, he he obviously wouldn't want her to fight, but I think it would mean a lot for her to um, have him supporting her anyway. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would love that. And we will find out very soon. Very soon, in about an hour. <laughs> uh, Sky Crew is leaving Arcadia, and Jaha is, Jaha is, like, pontificating again. To himself. To himself. He's not even talking to anybody. <laughs> I can't, what, he was, like, saying something totally random. He was like, saying, like, rise, something rise. It's just, he's, like, the worst. I don't know, I can't. I just can't. <laughs> um, Jasper and Harper come to say goodbye, and Jasper thanks Bellamy for understanding them. Bellamy tells them, may we meet again, to which Jasper replies, "We won't," which leaves Bellamy naturally with whatever the hell you want. Um, honestly, Jasper saying we won't—it sealed the deal for me here. I don't think that Jasper and Bellamy are ever going to see each other again. Like this really did feel like the end. Totally. I I actually choked up here, and I might choke up again. <laughs> I and I had to
0: ask myself why that was. You know, like why why am I reacting so emotionally to this and I realized it's
1: because this is their goodbye scene and it it just makes me so sad it's devastating like as far as goodbyes go this one was really powerful you know the may we meet again line has been used so many times in so many different ways in the show but this particular subversion just like hurt a lot there are like classic attributes
0: that you include in a goodbye scene and nostalgia is certainly one of them and they did that here the combination of we, may we meet again and then Bellamy's whatever the hell you want was such a throwback to season one and it just puts into stark relief how far of a journey we've come with
1: these two yeah I mean like you think back to how they started and now how they are ending and it's like this strange sort of parallel mm-hmm. because in season one Bellamy was going to leave Jasper out there to die after he was taken by the grounders And now, in season four, their ending, he is leaving Jasper to die. It's the exact same action, but in a completely different context. That is so true. I didn't think about that. And now I'm dying all over again. Thank you. (laughs) Do you think that um, he would have left them behind if he hadn't had the revelation a couple of episodes ago? That you can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved?
0: Hmm. I actually don't think that he would have left them behind. I do I don't think he was emotionally capable of leaving them there to die, actually. Not, not so much for their sake, but again, because of his own guilt. Before he lost Mark and, I think Mark's dad, right, to the acid rain, Bellamy spent every ounce of energy saving delinquents so that he could feel like he had a purpose and a reason to be alive and to atone for his own past sins and I don't think it was until that point plus the realization that Octavia had to be left to make her own choices um that Bellamy was able to recognize the value of personal choice particularly where death is the option someone is choosing and like I said Bellamy
1: has come a long way yes he most certainly has and it kills me Mm mm-hmm Um, Back in the mess hall, Harper is looking around and she sees Monty and she realizes that he stayed behind. Um, He tells her that he loves her and that he is not willing to give up on her and Jasper quite yet. So Monty hasn't changed his mind about leaving, but he is there in case they change their own. Does this worry you? Because it worries me. No,
0: only because I, I think a lot of characters are going to get killed off, but I don't think Monty is going to be one of them.
1: I don't really think Monty's going to be one of them. I just, I don't like Monty being here with the Death Brigade when everyone else is in Polis. Be Like, like what if there's a change of plans and no one tells him? Like, what if the bunker is blown up, as their plans are, you know, tend to do, and um, they have to go find a new bunker? Or what if they have to get in that rocket and go back to space, and he's not on the invite list because he doesn't have... um the right address anymore um there are like four episodes left you know like entire empires on this show could rise and fall in that time that's true but monty is
0: a godforsaken list tm genius (laughs) if there is a change of plans he will figure it out also also can i just say that as much as i do sympathize for harper and i do um and as much as i've come to accept jasper's fate here I am so irritated on Monty's behalf. And I I just want him to be with people who pick him first like he does for them.
1: I I mean, like, yeah, it's hard. I mean, like, I agree earlier. It's hard to judge Harper and and Jasper because they're both, you know, very, very depressed um, and traumatized. But uh, I like I sympathize with her, but I just don't care about her. So Monty's well-being is my sole focus in this relationship and Monty only deserves good things, so. Right. This is, like, very disturbing for me. Yeah, this is not a good thing right now. And I'm very uncomfortable,
0: and I'm really irritated.
1: <sighs> well. That's
0: that. That's that. That was a real <laughs> <little> picker-upper. <laughs> Sorry, guys.
1: Um, Raven Murphy. Yeah, my fave. We're going to
0: move on to the Raven Murphy stuff, because it's
1: so fun. That's so good. Um, in Becca's lab, Raven, Amori, and Murphy are all packing up to head to the bunker. And Amori doesn't believe that they're coming back uh, to get them because, I mean, obviously, she has a few trust issues when it comes to Sky Crew, but Raven assures her that they might leave Murphy, but they would never leave Raven because she is too awesome. She is too awesome. She, I mean, she is too awesome. Um, first and foremost, though, I, I'm a little surprised that Amori and Murphy seem to be on, on such good terms with everyone right now as they are. Like, I could I get that they have to, um... They have to stick with them because they need the bunker. But I thought they'd be a little bit more sour about it. Like it, it almost seems like both Murphy and Amori have like completely forgotten that Raven was just standing by a couple days ago while they were going to murder Amori or possibly Murphy afterward. Um, And and I'm I'm not sure I believe their lack of reaction here. Just judging the kinds of people that they are i think they both are the kind to do kind of hold grudges um but i will let it go because i love 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 the relationship between murphy and raven so much.
0: I know. It's ridiculous. And I mean, they are extremely practical, though. It's it's in their immediate
1: best interest to play nice. Yeah, I mean, I get that they have to stay with them, but they don't have to, like, be happy about it. Like, I wouldn't be joking around with someone who just stood back and let others experiment on me just a few days ago, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, okay. So, does Raven's ego seem... <laughs> You're just like, whatever. I'm I mean, like, I, I just am <laughs> moving on. Does... Okay, I was gonna ask you. Does Raven's ego seem like another symptom of her brain trauma here, like, or is this is this just her usual spoonful of self confidence? I don't know.
1: Um, I guess, I guess personally, I think that Raven, I think she consistently uses these kinds of comments to hide her own insecurities. Yeah, like, like not that she doesn't know that she's smart because she does. But whenever she's making a comment like this, it always feels like it is made to cover up the fact that she's not feeling particularly confident at that moment. Um, What do you think? I think it's
0: both brain trauma or brain damage um, and Raven being Raven. Like, you're absolutely right. And we know that on some level here, she must be starting to worry about her own value and what she can contribute. Um, And the, the proof of this is that Becca pops up as soon as she says the statement.
1: Yes, she does. Um, Raven is hearing noises coming from the rocket, and Murphy and Amori don't hear anything. So Murphy tells Amori to go get the seizure kit, but Raven assures him that she is fine. So he leaves her alone, although it's clear that he doesn't quite believe her. And on their way out, Amori asks why, if Raven can't use her brain, would they come back for her? And I feel really bad for Amori because she, like, doesn't understand the concept of friendship. Mm -mm. Like, she's never had someone before Murphy that she would come back for, or who would come back from her honestly yeah. uh, and we know that there is honestly no way that Abby and Clark and the rest of them would leave Raven behind Like literally no way um, but Amori can't fathom how someone could actually care about another person that much if she's not useful
0: Yeah, I mean, that's so true, and I I also love this line because it was really the first time prior to the rest of this episode that the audience is also forced to reckon with the idea of a raven who can't use her brain, which is honestly a terrifying concept. I feel like we've all been living in a state of denial about her condition, including raven, Um, and this was the first time we had to look at this problem square in the face.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not loving that line of thinking. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not really scared for Raven <laughs> because I'm like 99.99% sure that she is going to a left standing, not just at the end of the season, but at the end of the series. I don't, I see like literally everyone else dying before Raven. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, except Bellamy and Clark. <laughs> no, I literally, I see Bellamy and Clark dying before they would kill off Raven. Really? Like it, like in the very last episode, if the, it was between the three of them, Raven would be my last pick to die. We will have to talk about this at a later podcast. <laughs> uh, however, I don't like even having to like consider what we'd do without her, you know, because yeah. it's like, it's horrible. She's, she's needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I see that.
0: I, I was at an author festival this weekend, like I said, um, and why this podcast is so late. Um, and one of the authors speaking on a panel was discussing about um, character and like what happens when you take away the essential thing that like makes a character special. Like what happens to them? And it's, it's just, it was just, like, fresh in my mind. And it feels particularly relevant to what is going on in this scene. Like, what makes Raven, Raven? Her brain. And that's why she's so special. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that the writers allow themselves, like, the space to explore these kinds of questions
1: about identity and, like, your own intrinsic way that you value yourself. Yeah, and I'm really excited. I don't think that this discussion is over yet no. by any means. Um, we are still in the thick of it. So I can't wait to see how the show handles Raven because Raven like is essentially choosing to commit suicide but it feels very different um than Jasper and Harper yeah and we'll get to that in a second yeah we will
0: we'll talk about the DNR of it all
1: but I love that we're able to kind of see the side of things mm-hmm. and this is almost like it's not it's not really assisted suicide but it's the same kind of Concepts. Yeah, it's more like if
0: there's like a spectrum of 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 suicide, right? Like euthanasia and assisted suicide is on one end, and like choosing to forego what could have been a long and healthy life, you know, by through various methods is on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah.
1: So once Murphy and Amori are gone, Raven goes over to the rocket. She's still hearing these noises coming from it, and when she opens the cockpit door, who does she see but Becca? Shock. <laughs> who asks, um, why live in a hole in the ground when you have a perfectly good rocket? Which sends Raven into a seizure. How many seizures has she had? How is she still alive? It's an excellent question. Like like it's been like 3 or 4, right? I mean like you think about like the way
0: concussions work and yeah. it's like after your fourth concussion like you have permanent brain damage so
1: I don't understand how this girl is like even walking still I mean to be fair she is still alive but as Becca tells her she soon won't be able to function without help so it's not like she's really doing great here I know I just like think I would have expect- expected her to have already deteriorated more than she has yeah maybe um the whatever the um chip or whatever it was yeah. did to her brain is kind of keeping her functioning like longer yeah okay maybe I'll just go with that sure <laughs> Uh, Raven is trying to ignore this hallucination of Becca who just like won't shut up in the background. Um, She's telling Raven that she's just trying to help her because Raven's dying and not from radiation, but from brain trauma. So pretty soon, apparently, Raven is going to need her friend's help to even tie her own shoes. And so instead of a life like that, Becca offers another solution, one last spacewalk. So what do you think, of all people, why do you think Raven's mind has chosen Becca as her guide?
0: Well... I think the most superficial reason is that Becca represents someone who could have been a role model for Raven had they been alive at the same time. You know, Becca embodies a lot of the qualities that Raven also has. She's a woman. She's a genius. She excels in a scientific field and she's very logical. Um, I think Raven has had a hard time listening to her elders because she's often the smartest person in the room, but Becca is someone who Raven would naturally give due deference to and so her subconscious like produced the one person raven wouldn't ignore.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I think to add to that, Becca is also someone who sacrificed so much of herself to help other people. Like instead of joining up with the ark and living safely in space, Becca took the flame and she like went back to the radiation infested earth to do all the good that she could because she felt guilty, but, you know, whatever. Um, In that same way, Raven has that drive to help people, no matter the toll that it takes on her body and on her mind. And that sacrifice, you know, the sacrifices that a lot of other people make on this show tend to be more psychological, but Raven has really had to deal with both psychological and physical trauma. And despite the pain, she keeps pushing forward so she can use her talents to save people. You know, even when Abby tells her that pushing forward is going to kill her. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: okay. So I'm going to get meta again and talk about one of the broader themes of this season, which is the resource of time. We talked a lot about this during our third podcast of the four horsemen. Um, and I just, I love that the writers keep bringing up this concept of time versus quality of life, right? like they've touched on it a few times in this episode alone first with Ilian and the idea of choosing your own winter and then with the DNR gang who don't want to waste their time without any real quality of life and then here Raven has to grapple with the idea that she may be physically alive but it isn't the kind of life she would want for herself that she wouldn't choose and so in her own way she's like also resigned herself to DNR she's choosing a different way than the rest of them um but it is it is like we were talking about like a suicide and as both ilian and bellamy mentioned choosing your own fate is a is a gift
1: um with that said i still don't believe they're actually going to kill her off no i mean like like we said no <laughs> they're not they're not at all but i i also just want i you know what you know what <laughs> i really want this five-year break Because I want everyone to just chill out, be it like in hypersleep, be it up in space, just floating around, (laughs) be it like in a bunker, just like drinking in the mess hall and like, you know, hanging out with your grounder buddies because they're all going to get in there together. Like they need a break. Raven needs some downtime. She's not going to die. So she's going to have to live. And that means that she's going to be fixed because I don't think she would ever choose to live. I mean, we, we realize here she wouldn't choose to live with, um having control of her brain
0: yeah and maybe during that five-year break she can finally hang out with Roan, and my crack ship will come true
1: <laughs> the very first when, when did we like it, it was like th- the first episode we met Roan, right yeah
0: we <laughs> he, it was like he was delivered no the second one he was delivering clark oh back right to the ark yeah and like him and raven walked by each other in opposite
1: directions well that wasn't the first yes no that was at the end of um the third season
0: yeah, that's the
1: first time they're on screen together. No, no, no. But we had shipped them before that. We shipped them long before they ever met because we were oh, really excited yeah. when they were like finally together in the same room. Oh right! But then, like <laughs> literally, forgot. nothing happened. But you and I like both described. we were like, oh, I think like her hand brushed his yeah. hand. <laughs> I right? think she like watched
0: him walk and away. Like, <laughs> Talk about reading way too much into a scene. We were just so like salivating for anything. I, I, I mean like I ship it. I still ship I mean, it. I mean I think I ship if it never happens I won't I won't be too devastated, but if it did happen, I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't hate it.
1: Um we see Amore in the office above, and she is watching Raven talk to herself down um in the lab below. And at this point, she has given up hope that anyone's coming back for them. So her and Murphy decide to go try to ride out the storm in the lighthouse bunker. I just I love how romantic Murphy is in this scene. He's such a softie. Did this remind you of Titanic? <laughs> I don't know if it's because
0: you and I just watched it. Side note, we just watched Titanic on vacation in Los Angeles at this book
1: festival. But, <laughs> but we all we only watched um to up the right end before, of tape 1 to the end of tape 1. Right. That's like right the before key the iceberg piece of information. <laughs>
0: we did not watch tape 2. Um it was on TBS. Um, but I don't know. This scene reminded me so much of that old couple in the movie who, like, die in each other's arms.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to... I thought you were thinking it reminded you of, like, pay me like one of your French oh, no. girls. No, no, not the Murphy car- lying on the couch Mur-
0: and Murray, more, like, sketchy. No, and- I mean, because, like, <laughs> Murphy in this scene is essentially saying, like, we're gonna die. Oh, yeah. So they're just, like, going off into the distance accepting their
1: fate in an embrace. I, I, Murphy is a total romeo but you saying that also i want to add and this is like kind of off topic but not really i think that we are going to get one of those like old couple dying in each other's arms scenes at the last episode of the show because like clearly everyone isn't going to survive yeah and so i i can see the show like flashing to different grounder people who've like accepted their fate and it's gonna be very upsetting. I don't like the second tape of Titanic, so I don't know if you don't <laughs> watch the second tape. no, but actually that's like an, it's another cultural reference though
0: is like Pompeii where yeah. like the volcano like burns everyone and they have they have found skeletons in the the site of Pompeii who are, are just holding each yeah. other.
1: That's good good uh good recall. yeah. it's gonna be gruesome guys. Ugh, it's gonna be bad. this episode, this next episode. Is going to be particularly bloody, I think, but that last episode is going to be hard to watch because the earth is just being destroyed again. Yep. So, um... As Murphy and Amori are packing supplies for the lighthouse bunker, Miller and Jackson return and apologize for the delay. But there's been some developments and not all good, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but, um, uh, like, was this confirmation of Miller and Jackson? Because, like, what other quote-unquote good thing, good developments could have occurred? No, it's just them. Except for them, like, making it. Like, like, did this already happen while our back was turned? I, I like. Where did they find the time between being captured by Roan and then having to like rush back to the island? I mean, I, I guess they had some time when they were like locked in prison. That prison, a lot of stuff happens. A lot of stuff happens in that prison. Um. Still, I wanted to watch the courtship. I don't want it to like happen yet. I want to like see slow burn. Slow burn. <laughs> I mean, the dead body
0: rule does not apply with ships, so I'm going with yes, it happened, and I'm
1: not mad about it. That's true. Ships just kind of happen they on the happen. show, except.
0: Except the one ship. Except
1: the one ship. That ship. (laughs) That ship. The ship that will not be named. (laughs) Yeah, nameable ship. (laughs) Um, And Morhae's face here, too, when she realizes that they actually did come back for them, was just, like, heart-wrenching. Although... I'm not one hundred percent willing to say that they would have actually come back if it were just Murphy and Amori and not yeah, Raven too. I was thinking that too. Like I think they would have made more of an effort to come back to get Raven than they would have to got to get Murphy. I don't think they would have just like left
0: him there. I also think that like where do where do Murphy and Amori like line up against like the tech that they needed to salvage too? Yeah. Yeah. Like
1: I But we'll give it to Amori. I don't know. You you like factored in a little bit, honey. Yeah. <laughs> I would say five percent. I think you're being generous. Maybe, Maybe two and a half. Two <laughs> percent. So Murphy goes to get Raven, but when Raven says she's not going, Murphy realizes that she's taking the rocket and he says that he is sorry for hurting her, but Raven tells him that it's not his fault. Like she can deal with losing her leg, but she cannot deal with losing her mind. Yeah. So let's talk about this Murphy
0: apology because I I know you have some feelings. I do have a lot of feelings. Yeah. Like
1: I I may actually have the most feelings that's possible (laughs) to have. Like, oh my gosh. This scene is so, so, so significant because as you can attest – Verbal apologies are very important to me. Like I know that technically words don't really carry meaning, but so often I'm watching something or reading something or, you know, living something where um, someone shows that they're sorry, but never actually says it, says it. And um, I, I think it takes a very special kind of courage to admit when you're wrong. And I never quite feel like something is resolved until I hear that verbal apology. So hearing Raven, um, and Murphy talking and then hearing Murphy apologize to her, it just, and, and and also seeing how much he means it. I mean, Richard Harmon puts all of himself into that line and it, it just killed me. Like this feels like a culmination of of, of Murphy's arc, not just this season, but for this entire show. Yeah. I just, I want to ditto
0: everything you just said I I know we say this a lot but if you had told me where Murphy's character would end up at the beginning of even season, season two I I would have laughed at you you <laughs> know in, in a lot of ways Murphy is the surrogate for the audience I think he's he's not the hero he's the outsider always observing and trying to survive and and sometimes does unpleasant things to ensure his survival um and just like having him confess his guilt and apologize like this was so raw and emotional even more so because he provides this surrogacy for us as the viewer Um, we are all Murphy and this was so impactful
1: like straight to my soul yep and uh, you know on the flip side Raven's line also killed me (laughs) Oh boy, yes it did. I I also have a lot of feelings
0: about this. <laughs> I I love this idea that that guilt and self blame is such a one sided affair. You know, like on some level, Murphy's been beating himself up about causing Raven's injury for a while and you know, she's she's moved on and gone past it and, and his guilt and his his, you know, self blame, it hasn't affected Raven at all. It's only been blaming himself. And, you know, it just, it made his confession that much more bittersweet because when Raven tells him it's not his fault, he's been forgiving, you know, that's so powerful. These two have found a way to not only coexist to be friends, um, and I, I'm just getting so emotional just thinking about it. Like, the symmetry of this is beautiful. I I love this show.
1: I love this show too. (laughs) Meanwhile,
0: meanwhile, I, I have to take a minute and talk about Raven's statement that she's okay with losing her leg, but she's not okay with losing her mind. I mean... Wow, if you ever wanted an empowering an empowering line, there it is. Raven is not just talking about the sheer terror of losing bodily functions which is absolutely horrifying in and of itself you know she's she's talking about losing her identity the thing that makes her Raven her intelligence is not just some character gimmick the writer is assigned to her to help out when the gang gets into sticky situations like this is part of her DNA as a human this is who she is it's a central part of her of her soul her her intelligence and the way it allows her to contribute to the group and also the way that this makes her feel valuable like all of these things drive every decision that she makes and if you take that away she's nothing and this is scarier to her than walking out into open space and saying goodbye
1: yep <laughs> I, I, I have nothing intelligent to add because this scene just broke me yeah it was so <laughs> so emotional um uh, when Murphy asks what he should tell the others, Raven says, tell him that she floated herself, which is both a hilarious and devastating pun, and I want to die. Yeah. Um, and then they hug, and it's beautiful, and Raven tells them to survive, to which Murphy replies, that's what cockroaches do. Oh my god. And that's it. That's it. I have ascended. This might be my favorite scene of the entire series. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I'm just dead, D-E-D, can we,
0: can we just take a second and appreciate the genius of these writers and the DNR theme spread across this whole episode? I, I know I've talked about this a lot, but come on, the symbolism, the connective tissue, how all of these storylines influence and inform one another to make for more thoughtful storytelling
1: is just so brilliant. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm still, still broken. I'm still broken. I have no more thoughts. I have no more thoughts than anything in the whole world. <laughs> We're not done yet. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Wait. Last scene um, and the point where these storylines all converge, or most of the storylines converge at yeah. least. um Clark and Bellamy have just had this, like, heart-wrenching off-screen reunion. (laughs) Which I wish I could have (laughs) seen. And now they're sitting in their tower, surveying their kingdom. Clark says to Bellamy, Bellamy, everything the light touches is ours. (laughs) (laughs) If if we win the seventy fifth annual Hunger Games. (laughs) But Bellamy says, How can we possibly win without our Katniss? And then who trots in but Miss Katniss herself? Octavia Blake, she's RSVPing for war. Oh my god! She volunteers as tribute. She's volunteering. <laughs> um, so next episode is going to be a little intense. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> but like, like in all seriousness, uh, in my my greatest secret deepest wish for next episode, um, Octavia is going to fight for Sky Crew. We know this, and it will be this fight. I'm hoping that will make her realize that she wants more from life than just fighting. Like, I want this episode to be um, an impetus for her to find a new way to live. And I don't know if this will actually happen, but a girl can dream. That would be lovely. And that is now my super secret wish. As well. (laughs) But um, since we're recording this podcast literally right before the next episode, we don't have long to wait to find out. So with that said, for the love of God, can we please end this really, really long episode? Yes, we can. But we should talk about our favorite scenes and our favorite lines before we're done. Okay. So what was your favorite scene? Well, (laughs) my favorite scene, I mean, obviously... Because it might be my favorite scene of all time is the last scene between Murphy and Raven. I think I made that pretty clear. I don't know why you even have to ask. I didn't really
0: have to ask, but I just <laughs> wanted to make sure. Um, okay, so I have a I have a fake favorite scene and a real favorite scene. My my fake favorite scene was between Bellamy and Jasper as they were saying goodbye, and they both uttered those immortal catchphrases from season one. We we already spent a lot of time talking on this, but I just wanted to sum it up by saying that this was incredibly emotional for me, and it was it was really hard to watch them saying goodbye. And yeah. I, I'm just so choked up about it um, and so my actual favorite scene this episode was when Octavia and Ilian were in bed <laughs> <laughs> and th- <laughs> thus I have caused the bronchitis to come back <laughs> <laughs> you were um, doing so good all episode I know I
1: almost made it <clears throat> Um. okay so with that said favorite <laughs> lines uh, well my favorite line so I wanted to choose something outside of my favorite scene because I, I try to do that um, but I let, let's be honest I would be lying if I said that my favorite line was anything other than Murphy saying, I'm sorry for doing this to you, Raven, because he's come so far. And it like, it just means so much for him to say it. And I'm just so damn proud of him. And I love him and I love her and I love everybody. And I love this show. <laughs> you and me both. I'm so proud of him. Um,
0: okay. So I, I also picked a line that was in my my real favorite scene, not my fake favorite scene. Um, but this is like, not just a joke. This is actually, I do really love this line. And it's the one where Ilian says the crops they die in winter then they return in spring. Most people don't know when their winter will come, but we do and that's a gift. Why waste it in fighting? It's a good line. And I have been intrigued with Ilian ever since he came on this on the scene. Um, but my affection for him has only grown with each episode and this was the first time that I felt like Ilian proved that he was someone to be reckoned with and his character is really really interesting and i i think he brings such a fresh personality and makes for a wonderful addition to this cast and i i love him agreed t million um so yeah let's let's talk about next week next week's episode and that's starting in a half an hour (laughs) is called die all die merrily so again nice and cheery and shakespearean to boot I would be willing to bet that there will
1: be some death. Don't know if you agree or you know uh, just a
0: bit. Um, also, we apologize in advance for all the Hunger Game puns we're about to make. Uh, I mean, I'm we, so sorry. We've
1: already given you a special sneak peek, but but, but it's gonna be bad. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's 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 gonna be ugly, guys. Um, so before yeah. we uh, sign off, do you want to talk about how yeah. we're the worst?
0: Um, okay, so we are the worst. Actually, we're so sorry. When we started this podcast, we really thought we were gonna be like. We're bo- side note, we're both super punctual. Like, we've never been... I am not capable of being late to anything. <laughs> I actually, like, try to get places 20 minutes late, and I still get there five minutes early. <laughs> However, with that said, um, I I am a publicist. I go on tour with authors sometimes, and Sarah also does some things in her personal life Um, where she goes on vacation. That's allowed. Occasionally. Sometimes. Unfortunately, I am going on work trips, and she is going on vacation every other weekend for, like, the next foreseeable future so I'm not
1: going on like six vacations but I have like company coming up and then I'm going on vacation and then we both have this work conference and it's just right so with all that said we're gonna be late for every single episode
0: for the rest of the season yeah
1: like we are going not just like not like today late where we are getting it in right before the next episode I mean late so we apologize
0: we're so so sorry we are very terrible planners even though that's my job well I
1: mean like it just was a perfect storm Like I don't even know How we worked it out So perfectly we, That we like Will barely see each other In May That's true Um I will miss you I will miss you too
0: So yeah We're really sorry About our upcoming tardiness It's gonna suck I'm And
1: you know you, At least you'll get to Binge watch Binge listen to all of our podcasts Yeah we at the We end. will get them all up Eventually And By eventually I mean like probably by By like June-ish Mid-June, mid-June yeah. We should be Everything should be up Um but nothing will be even remotely on time. So. No.
0: No. So, so don't be like sitting there chewing your fingernails like I know all of you are. I know
1: you guys are so,
0: like waiting with bated breath can't, every week. Can't. For like, SkyCast. <laughs> you know, do anything with your lives until you hear what Sarah and I think about Octavia <laughs> and Ilian and Murphy. Um, but yeah okay so that's our episode if you would like to get in contact with us you can you can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com that's s-k-a-i-c-a-s-t-k-r-u at gmail.com you can tweet at us at skycast you can find us on tumblr at skycast.tumblr.com and you can also tweet at us at our own twitter accounts i am at bperlman89 and i'm at sarah r mccabe yeah so thanks for joining us on skycast we will we will meet again it's just not going to be on time but I'm <laughs> Bye guys. Bye.